Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about faith, family, freedom, the state of Illinois, our nation, and conservative action. Here's David Smith and Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. The remains of more than 2,200 aborted babies found in a garage in Will County. Illinois now has the most extreme pro-abortion law in the nation. Parental notice of abortion now at risk in Illinois. And a lawmaker wants to restrict state government employees from traveling on official business to states that have enacted pro-life laws. Illinois sure needs 40 Days for Life. The prayer campaign outside abortion centers is a peaceful and effective way to promote and protect life, with a growing number of women choosing life instead of abortion in response to the prayers of 40 Days volunteers. To join a 40 Days vigil near you, click events at IllinoisFamily.org. During a recent 40 Days launch event in Tenley Park, David Smith, the executive director of the Illinois Family Institute outlined several key and troubling provisions in the state's newly enacted abortion law. Before I give a legislative update, I wanted to share something that's been on my heart for a very long time. Over the years in this job with Illinois Family Institute, I've been up and down the state, conferences, mostly Christian conferences, some conservative conferences, and I've got to fellowship and, and meet Christians from all kinds of different walks of life. It's been a joy. It's one of the best parts of the job is meeting brothers and sisters in Christ all over the state of Illinois. Yet uh, I've been alarmed to learn firsthand that too many of us are apathetic and disinterested in what's happening in the General Assembly in Springfield or what's happening in Washington, D.C. in Congress. How do I know that? Because <laughs> I've asked. I've asked people at these conferences uh, as they've gone by my display table, hey, are you interested in public policy and politics? And the vast majority of the time, they answer, nah, not really. So in response, I'd ask them, okay, this is a Christian conference, right? I'd ask them, can I give you a biblical reason why you should be? And most of the time, just a few times they've said no and walked away, but most of the time they say, okay, yeah. So I start with Romans 13. Romans 13 says, all authority is ordained by God. Who has he appointed here in the United States of America? Well, the answer I usually get is the president, right? And I stop him and correct him and I say, what's the first three words of the Constitution? Okay, and then you see a little bit of a light bulb. <laughs> yeah, we the people. We are ultimately responsible, yes, we delegate our authority to the Congress, judiciary, to the executive, but we're ultimately responsible. Who did he ordain? It's we, the people. And then I ask, how are we doing with that? You can imagine the response. And my point is, we're not doing so good because we've turned the, the reins of government over to humanists and atheists. And then we're shocked. We're shocked at the legislation that they're passing. So we haven't been good stewards of God's gift of self-government. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about civic engagement. For example, we are instructed to teach the world. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. The word observe here isn't a passive verb as of telling us to be a spectator in the stands. No, it's an active verb suggesting that we should be, we should be doers of the word and not hearers only, as James 1.22 tells us. So let's face it. Laws teach our culture what is good and right versus what is bad and wrong. Speed limit signs in school zones, for example, tell us and the culture uh, and reinforce values regarding the safety of students. Yet our state and national laws on abortion and other cultural issues are counterproductive, misleading the public into a false sense of what is moral. It seems to me that the public square, the people in the public square are in desperate need of disciple making. Elected officials in Springfield and in Washington, D.C. need to hear from Christians in their district. So with that in mind, I want you to think of how legalized abortion has affected your family, your community, and our nation. More than 60 million innocent babies destroyed and millions of women victimized, thanks in large part to a cascade of lies that started with Roe versus Wade. Here in Illinois, state lawmakers are following the, the lead of abortion proponents in Virginia and New York, passing legislation that dramatically expands abortion rights. Senate Bill 25, euphemistically named the Reproductive Health Act, was signed into law by J.B. B. Pritzker on June 12th. This 126-page law creates a fundamental right to abortion. Pro-life attorney Peter Breen says that this new right is higher than our right to free speech, at least under the Illinois Constitution. On the flip side, pre-born babies have no rights under the Reproductive Health Act. It expressly strips all rights from unborn children and wipes nearly every abortion regulation off the books in Illinois. A fertilized egg, embryo, or fetus does not have independent rights under the laws of this state. This kicks the foundation out from every assumption we've been working under in Illinois since 1975. It strikes against everything we know to be true as human beings and as people of faith. Frankly, as people of science who understand that when a sperm and an egg come together and form that little embryo, it becomes a human fetus. I want to draw your attention to how radical this new abortion law is. My sources are constitutional attorney Paul Linton and pro-life attorney Peter Breen from the Thomas More Society. But I want to read through it bullet point by bullet point to help you understand You've heard it's radical, but do you know what it does? The RHA, the Reproductive Health Act, repeals Illinois' partial birth ban law and opens the door to more fetal tissue harvesting sales. Think about that. The RHA eliminates all licensing requirements for abortion mills. It eliminates health and safety inspections for abortion clinics. Oh, this is about the safety of women, right? Okay, let me read that again. It eliminates health and safety inspections for abortion clinics. 
you saw Gasnell, you know he was closed down partially because of the disgusting conditions of his clinic. The Rockford Clinic, the, the owner there, walked away after being shut down for violations because it too was in deplorable condition. He decided not to try to even bring it up to standard. RHA eliminates any restrictions on post-viability abortions and allows abortions for any reasons whatsoever throughout all nine months of pregnancy. It eliminates any requirement that the person performing a post-viability abortion use a method of abortion that would enhance the chance of the unborn child surviving the abortion. It eliminates the requirement that a second physician be present to provide immediate medical care for any born, a child born alive as a result of an abortion. Think about that for a second. You need two physicians there because you have two patients. But under this law, they don't consider that unborn baby a patient. This law allows non-physicians to perform abortions, both surgical and medical. It allows dismemberment abortions of preemie babies who feel pain and without anesthesia. It undermines institutional and individual rights of conscience. It nullifies regulations governing the operation of abortion clinics. It allows DCFS to use public funds to pay for abortions. It requires health insurance policies to include coverage for all abortions with no exemptions, even for churches and religious organizations. Did you hear that? Okay. Your insurance policy will have to cover, maybe, abortion coverage. RHA eliminates reporting requirements for all abortions, including those done on viable babies. It repeals penalties for performing illegal abortions. It strips away abortion conscience protection for health care workers, and it eliminates abortion reporting to the Illinois Department of Public Health altogether. So how are we to know what's going on with abortion in Illinois? We will no longer know how many out-of-state people are coming here to have abortions. We will no longer know the statistics by county to figure out how many abortions were committed in Cook County versus the rest of the state. So to tie this back into the second great command, if we are truly striving to fulfill this imperative of the Lord, to love our neighbors as ourselves, how can we turn a blind eye to what is going on in the culture? And if we truly love our neighbors as ourselves, we must be concerned about the spiritual, emotional, and physical consequences of abortion, as well as the callous and lethal worldview that is being promoted in our culture. I recently had the opportunity to hear Abby Johnson speak in Southern Illinois. She told a crowd of about a thousand people in Effingham that God doesn't need our prayers to convince him that abortion is evil. He doesn't need a few more prayers to prompt him to intercede. God hates abortion. She said, no, we are his hands and feet. She told the crowd to stop waiting for legislative solutions to the abortion holocaust. And I couldn't agree more. God chooses to use us, broken jars of clay, to advance his kingdom. 
I don't understand it. <laughs> I, I, it's way beyond me. But the Bible clearly teaches us this truth. You know those heroes of the faith and the great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews? None of them were perfect. Yet God used them in amazing ways. He wants to use us. Will we allow him to work through us? Are we willing to put our feet to the pavement as we pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Planned Parenthood touts their slogan, Every child a wanted child. Their answer being, if a child's not wanted, kill them by abortion. But the answer should be coming from the church and from us as Christians, as we teach the world to cherish life by defending the defenseless, rescuing the perishing, ministering to the elderly, embracing the disabled, and serving the least among us, encouraging those who are ailing or suffering. I believe that also includes being good stewards of God's gift of self-government, being politically engaged in supporting the vitally important work of crisis pregnancy centers as they minister to women experiencing a crisis pregnancy. And it includes embracing the 40 Days for Life campaign as an opportunity to be a silent and peaceful witness for the sanctity of life. It's an opportunity for the church to be the visible hands and feet of God as humble Christian servants stand in prayerful vigil allowing him to use us in small, medium, and amazing ways. I hope you do choose in your church get involved in this 40-day for life campaign. Thank you. David Smith, the executive director of the Illinois Family Institute. The peaceful fight for life is gaining ground on a number of fronts. That part of the story during the second half of Illinois Family Spotlight. Here's good news from Anchorage, but this should have been obvious. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with a point. When a drunk, injured man tried to enter the downtown Hope Center of Anchorage, Alaska, a shelter for homeless and abused women, the staff provided him a taxi to the hospital. In response for that good deed, the city of Anchorage took legal action against the Center for Gender Discrimination because the man identified as a woman. I'm happy to report the city has now ended its lawsuit thanks to the Alliance Defending Freedom convincing a federal judge to back the Hope Center. Of course, it should have been obvious that a man doesn't belong in the living quarters of abused women. This is more a matter of common sense than religious freedom, but increasingly Christians might be forced to take the kind of stand the Hope Center did. And we'll have to make the case for religious freedom and why it matters. A new book by Luke Goodrich, Free to Believe, can help us do just that. Come to breakpoint.org book to get your copy. That's breakpoint.org book. I'm John Stone Street. Addictive, high-potency marijuana will soon be legal in Illinois, making our homes, public spaces, workplaces, and roads less safe. Ask your mayor, village trustees, 
aldermen, county board members to pass an ordinance prohibiting marijuana dispensaries and marijuana businesses in your community. For more information, click Pot Opt Out at IllinoisFamily.org. Encourage your local elected officials to limit drug trafficking by passing an ordinance banning marijuana dispensaries and marijuana businesses in your community. The future of your community is at risk. Urge your local elected leaders to opt out of high potency marijuana. Find out more at IllinoisFamily.org and click Pot Opt Out. Click Pot Opt Out at IllinoisFamily.org. Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. The 40 Days for Life prayer campaign is underway in Aurora, Flossmoor, Downers Grove, Peoria, other cities in Illinois, around the nation, and across the globe. During a launch event in Tenley Park, Jill Stanick with the Susan B. Anthony List gave a review of victories on the pro-life front. Illinois is at the epicenter of the abortion debate. We're the only state surrounded by states that have pro-life laws with now absolutely no pro-life laws, and we taxpayers are forced to pay for abortions. And I know you've all heard about George Klopfer in Crete, yes? He stored 2,246 aborted babies at his house in Crete. So that is getting national attention, and it is uh, drawing attention to the fact that these are human beings. It's hard for me to fathom. There were 2,246 human beings that Klopfer kept, and it's just it's unfathomable to um, consider, but it gives us arms, ammunition, to humanize these babies. So talk about it. Go by his house. I went by his house and prayed at his house and took pictures and just um, pray that this will be used on both the Illinois and Indiana level, but also on the federal level, because he did transport corpses across state lines. My news is all good, uh, aside from that. Uh, first of all, 40 days for life when I'm interviewed, People ask me what is the most important thing that the pro-life movement has going for it in the last decade, and I say 40 days for life, because twice a year you stand in front of abortion mills and pray all the time they're open and sometimes around the clock, and, and you have no idea the damage that you're doing to their business, sustained presence, and that God is honoring all of these prayers and the witness that 40 days is taking. So, the number of abortion clinics has dropped from a high of 2,176 in 1991 to 706 today. Yeah. That's a drop of 67%, and 40 Days for Life can claim a large part of that victory. We just heard news that the number of abortions is down, even though it's, again, unfathomable to imagine, but 862,000 babies were killed in 2017, which is terrible. But this is down by 46% from a high of 1.6 million back in 1990. So again, uh, the pro-life movement is having a tremendous impact, not just on the number of clinics, but also 
helping change people's hearts. So thank you for your part in all of that. The victories that we've seen uh, since 2016, first of all, begin with the courts. We have had 150 federal conservative judges confirmed since 2016. Yes. That includes Neil Gorsuch and Kavanaugh on the federal Supreme Court. So for the first time ever since Roe v. Wade was legalized, we now have a 5-4 pro-life majority on the Supreme Court. And Justice Ginsburg is 86. It has to be, you know, it, it's a fact. And um, Breyer, another liberal, is 81. And so uh, even though this isn't talking about the election, it's just very important that we keep the gateway open to confirming these judges on into the next uh, election cycle. There are 13 circuit courts, and they hear seven to 8,000 cases a year. The Supreme Court hears less than 2% of those cases. So the circuit court is right below the Supreme Court, and it's very important. And these confirmed judges have already been having a major impact on the circuit courts. The Third Circuit has been flipped from liberal to conservative, and the 11th will soon be flipped. And even the 9th, the infamous 9th Circuit Court, is um, being the effect of these judges is being felt. Because twice now, a, um, two panels on the 9th Circuit have agreed with President Trump that his executive order is constitutional that blocks Title X funding from Planned Parenthood. Who would have thought that? <laughs> On to executive actions for life, the National Institute of uh, Health has defunded fetal tissue research uh, intramural inside of its walls, and that amounts to $31 million in 2018. The states have now been free to block Planned Parenthood from getting Medicaid funds. President Obama disallowed states to defund Planned Parenthood from Medicaid, and a law was passed that allows, through this Congress, uh, that allows the states to defund Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood is also under investigation, federal investigation, since 2017. Uh, both by the DOJ and the FBI. And we don't know the outcome. They're not allowed to talk about it. But um, we've, we've just been hearing we won't be disappointed. But keep praying about that. Under Obamacare, one of the rules that was passed was that all organizations had to fund contraceptives and, and abortifacients, even religious organizations, even Little Sisters of the Poor. But now that has been overturned. We're grateful for that. In uh, January 2017, right after he took office, President Trump reinstated the Mexico City policy. And he expanded it. The Mexico City policy was instated under President Reagan. And it says that no international group can get our taxpayer funding if it is at all involved in abortion. President Trump expanded that, not just to have family planning organizations be affected, but now all organizations 
having anything to do with abortion internationally, can't have anything to do with our money. So he increased the number, the volume of dollars from 500 million to 8.8 .8 billion dollars that international abortion groups can't touch. That's huge. Yep. And under Obamacare, there was supposed to be a surcharge on insurance plans that itemized, you are having this amount of money taken out to fund abortion. And it was overlooked until this administration. And now this administration has forced insurance companies to line item the fact that they are helping pay for abortion, which we hope will um, encourage consumers to complain. Then we come to the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Act, which is something that I've been involved with uh, for 20 years. You probably know I was a nurse at Christ Hospital and discovered that it was involved in abortions that not only um, resulted in babies being aborted alive, but if they were aborted alive, they were shelved to die in the hospital soiled utility room. And I held an abortion survivor, eventually went public, and um, testified before Congress in 2000 and 2001 for the Born Alive Infants Protection Act. And this is a bill that simply defined what it means to be a legal person in the United States. If you're born, you're a person. <laughs> it's, it's sad that that had to be said, but um, some people think, and I've, and I've had legislators argue this to my face, that if a baby survives the abortion, but the mom's intent was to terminate the baby, that baby, they think, should be allowed to be killed or set aside to die and because that baby was an unwanted baby. And that's not the case. But it didn't have any teeth. It, it didn't say, if you break this law, this will happen to you. So a few years ago, the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act was introduced in both the Senate and the House. And this just it says that if you break this law, you are liable for prosecution fines, prison sentences, and if you are in the room, if you know that it's going on and you don't report it, you also are implicated. When in January, Virginia Governor Ralph Northam, who's a pediatric neurologist, was trying to stand up for a bill that had been introduced in Virginia that allowed abortions throughout all nine months of pregnancy, and the, um, the sponsor of the bill even was caught on tape saying to the committee, yes, even if a mom's in labor and dilating, yeah, this bill allows her to abort. Well, Governor Northam was on the radio and defending her, and he was talking about third trimester abortions, and he said, in the event a baby is born alive, I know exactly what will happen. He said that baby will be set aside and made comfortable while the mom and the doctors determine what if they want that baby to be resuscitated. So in other words, he was advocating infanticide so this opened the door for the Born Alive Act to be introduced again. It passed in the Senate, but not by the 60 vote majority that was needed. And now that Nancy Pelosi is leader of the House, she has not allowed it to be introduced in the House. And so uh, supporters of the bill have gone to the floor 80 times and asked Pelosi and the leadership to allow this bill to be introduced, and they've been turned down 80 times. Then they wanted to hold a hearing on it to continue to try and draw attention, and Nancy Pelosi said, no, you can't have a room. So even though there were many beautiful hearing rooms available in the Capitol, the Republicans that were sponsoring this hearing had to go to the Capitol Hill Visitor Center and hold their hearing in a meeting room, and there were 43 House members in standing room 
only crowd. It was very crowded, but um, the point was, was made. And yeah, that was um, what I testified for. Jill Stanick is the national campaign chair at Susan B. Anthony List, the largest pro-life political group in the country. A reminder, the Fall 40 Days for Life campaign concludes November 3rd. To find out more, click events at IllinoisFamily.org. Please join the Reverend Franklin Graham and the Illinois Family Institute for the Faith, Family, and Freedom Banquet Friday night, November 1st at the Tinley Park Convention Center. For information about attending, click events at IllinoisFamily.org or call 708-781-9328. Please support the work of IFI. All donations are tax deductible. And tell a friend about Illinois Family Spotlight. Until next time, God bless. Thank you for listening to Illinois Family Spotlight. For more information, please visit us at ifiaction.org and look for us on Facebook and Twitter. If you would like to email us questions or comments, please do so at feedback at ifiaction.org. Until next time, stay engaged and keep your eyes on the prize.